questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Tonight we take you back to the story of someone who at the age of 15 was identified by the highest levels of the United States government and who worked in some of the most sophisticated and classified areas. It's not that often that we have these discussions. He'll also share stories of when he was a child spending time with Viola Armstrong, Neil Armstrong's mother, and what Neil himself told him was the reason why we did not go back to the moon. This and much more on this week's Veritas. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy, MMS, CBD pure hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. David Adair is an internationally recognized leader and expert in space technology spin-off applications for industry and commercial use. At the age of 11, he built his first of hundreds of rockets, which he designed and test flew. At 17, he won the Most Outstanding in the Field of Engineering Sciences Award from the U.S. Air Force. At 19, he designed and fabricated a state-of-the-art mechanical system for charging jet turbine engines for the U.S. Navy that set world record turnaround times that still stand today. He is a world-class presenter and keynote speaker, seminar and workshop leader and consultant. His presentations include little-known facts and anecdotes from his involvement with the space program, commercial technology development, films, and the things he has seen at Area 51. Adair, who was a rocket prodigy as a child, said he was invited to Area 51 to view an exotic craft in 1971, which had electronic crystals that channeled plasma. From there, he developed a fusion containment configuration with coiled magnets that would act like a black hole. Upon testing, it left a huge white vortex behind, ripping through the atmosphere in seconds, he said, adding that such technology if properly developed, could send a craft to Mars in a matter of minutes. And directly from inside a mountain that he dynamited in order to build his home in Morganton, North Carolina, I'm privileged to welcome David T. Adair back to Veritas. Hello, David, and welcome back. How are you? I'm doing fine, Mel. How about you? I am fine, thank you. And we had some technical difficulties at the beginning, but that's usually what happens when you and I talk, right? But what I just said, it's not a it's not a joke, folks. So you just told me that you purchased some land, you put some explosives and dynamite, and you built the house inside. Does that have to do anything with 
the electromagnetic soup that we're living in that you wanted to be out of that? Uh, exactly. I, um, some of my work uh, is interfered with by frequencies and radiation that we have everywhere. And um, so I built a, an environment where I can work with my stuff and uh, I don't have to put up with any of the background white noise uh, and the constant bombardment of frequencies on every level imaginable from radio to infrared to microwave. I mean, it's all of that. And uh, communication transmissions, power systems, all that stuff. So I've been able to make a neutralized environment and... um, it works really well in a lot of things, but it also works really well with my um, my on the astronomy side with my telescopes because uh, they are shielded from all the interference, so I can really look at things on a more deeper level. And then um, what got us into another conversation was um, I have my own power in my own water. Actually, my water comes from an aquifer straight out of the mountains of Blue Ridge. And it's uh, it's an artesian well, and it puts out so much water, it's unreal. And I even sell some of the water back, there's so much of it. And then um, my power, I generate from a couple of things, but uh, a thorium reactor is, is, uh, is in the heart of some of my systems. And people think, well, no, that can't be. You know, there is no thorium reactors. <laughs> well, you better think again. You need to talk to a guy named Kirk Sorison. Now, Kirk Sorison is a graduate of Georgia Tech, and he started a company called Philby Energy, and he promotes the technology of thorium reactors and how it's safe and efficient, environmentally friendly. How do you spell it? How do you spell Philby? Uh, Philby is uh, F-I-L-B-E. Okay. Philby Energy. And Kirk Sorison. Um, I always kidded Kirk. I said he had the last name of the guy who killed Captain Kirk. <laughs> Sorison. Uh, but anyway, um, and his name is Kirk. <laughs> oh, Kirk. K-I-K. Okay. Yeah, Kirk Sorison. Um, but anyway, uh, the thorium reactors, see, they... They were really developed back in the 1950s, and we were going to go that route, but the uranium reactors with fission and fusion won because they wanted to develop and stockpile nuclear weapons at the time. So how stupid, how stupid. So they decided to go that route, which is dangerous because fission and fusion is really a hard thing to work with. Um However, to speak fairly for fusion on my side, um, the rocket engine that I built years ago when I was 17, that was a fusion containment engine. It's electromagnetic fusion containment. And I was able to keep on working with that thing until I finally built a small reactor. And I have attained containment and have for years, and they're just knocking on the door of containment. They had a big deal over in England about it. And they're not going to get there because the design is wrong. I have told them over and over again that their design is wrong. They only got half of the design, and they're not listening. So 
but they haven't obtained um, containment, which kind of hard to do with only half the design. So anyhow, um, the way the thorium reactors run is that um, there's no need for large containment buildings, uh, which that's a big problem for fusion fission. You see these big cooling towers and the containment vessels uh, in between them. Uh, you won't need that with thorium. Thorium just heats up salt. <laughs> Molten salt, y'all, special type of salt. Thorium salt, it burns really hot, and um, they run it in the reactor. It creates enough heat that it will cause the water to steam. The steam's then vented out into a chamber that spins the turbines, which makes electricity. It's just that simple. And then if anything goes wrong with the uh, salt, uh, there's a frozen containment plug in the bottom of the reactor, and if you lose all power and control over it, the frozen plug, which is cooled by an external fan and coolant, uh, it will melt, and then the whole reactor containment drain out into a passive container underneath the reactor, and it shuts everything down, and nothing can go to China Syndrome. It's impossible. Let me go back. I have to come back to thorium for a second, but I, you know, somebody who was in real estate before, and obviously you worked at with Fortune 500 companies, you amassed an amount of wealth that allowed you to to to, to do this. But how does how do you go out with a realtor and say, hey, I want a mountain, I want a demolition company or explosives to blow it up so I can have a house inside? How do you do that? Well, you present them with millions of cash that <laughs> that got their attention yeah you throw down suitcases and suitcases of cash guess what well all this waiting and all this red tape it just evaporates <laughs> when it's done it just evaporates and just it's amazing how that works and uh <laughs> how, how long did it so, take for you to build it uh took me about well still doing stuff the way i want it but it took me about three years and um, and it, it's actually been a lot of fun. I don't know why I'm thinking. Uh, it, 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 does it look like a bat cave? I mean, basically, knowing you. No, I, it actually looks like, um, I don't know if you ever seen those bunker homes that they built with missile silos. Yes. Uh, they look very, sim- it looks very similar to that. Uh, I, instead of being round like the silos are, I do have uh, a more rectangular shape. And, um, and I do have depth, um, you know, I have considerable floors that go down, I have an elevator in the center. Um, but it looks very much like a, um, uh, it just looks like a regular home, uh, a really nice home. And, um, you know, instead of doors going to outside, you have elevators, uh, and we're, we have windows, but the windows or they're flat with the ground, or they're flat with the sheer of the mountain. So you can look out, and they're just like side windows, but nothing's protruding. You can't, and from the sky, if you come over a helicopter, you can't really see my place. Uh, but that was an added bonus or design I wanted, where I didn't want people flying behind taking pictures. So um, it's really nice. It's quiet. Um, I've become very much, I guess, a recluse. Uh, I don't have a Facebook. I don't have websites. I don't have... 
I don't even carry a cell phone. Um, I look at these morons running around, you know, just frantically tapping away at their screen. Nothing else matters, just that. And I'm going, that's a form of addiction. It is. And I thought, I don't, I don't need that crap. Matter of fact, I don't even need a cell phone. I gave a lecture at MIT one day, and I said, um, uh, I don't have my cell phone with me. It's back on my kitchen table. So if that cell phone's a smartphone, it's so damn smart, how come it's answer sitting back in um, North Carolina and I'm here in California or Massachusetts, uh, wherever I'm at? And it got the point across. Um, I don't need that kind of technology hookup to survive or not even thrive, actually. And um, I do just fine without it. Um, We're way too dependent on that stuff, y'all. And when the grid goes down, and it will go down one day, and that grid's gone, and there goes all your cell phones, all your tablets and your laptops and your all the communication devices, everything shuts off, what are you going to do then? I had one kid tell me, oh, don't worry about it. We'll get on the Internet and call Amazon up and get everything we need to fix. And I'm going, are you even listening? <laughs> you know, and I thought, that's the mentality out there? Nah. So. Do you think that that's on purpose, David, because we're going to be discussing transhumanism, singularity. Are we going to be Terminator or are we going to be data? Uh, that's a question that I have for you for later. But do you think that the addiction that these uh, our youth has is because this is part of the plan? They're going to make him addicted to this. So when the time comes to merge them, merge them with an implant, they'll say, just tell me when. Yeah, absolutely. When? You know, there won't be no argument about it. Let's jump right into it. Um, yeah, they uh, they got the sheep going down the chute just fine. And um, it's going to be grim, y'all. Um, that's actually a very positive way of looking at the future. The reason being, at least you're still alive. I don't even think as a species we're going to make it. Um, environment's going to collapse on you. Uh, there's just so many things that's hanging by threads. Like I said earlier, your grid is more fragile than a butterfly. Do you know there are seven substations in the United States? If all seven of the substations were knocked down, Meltdown. your grid your grid would go down for two years and never come back. Not to mention the nuclear power plants. I discussed this with with a few people years ago when yeah. the, the, the grid goes down, if they lose power. And that's it. I'm going to touch something that maybe you have discussed before or not, but you probably have seen the videos of this individual. I forgot his name. I'll look for it later. But that he actually went inside of a nuclear power plant, swam inside of the allegedly radioactive pool, drank some radioactive material, nothing happened to him. And what he was implying was that this BS of, of radiation is not true. Is it true or not? Well, if uh, the only thing I can say is that that reactor wasn't running, because if it was running, he wouldn't be around. Uh, <laughs> surely would have killed him. Um, I guess that might have been a test cell, a dummy test cell that he. Okay, so if it's true, then. All these nuclear power plants around the nation, they only have a backup of days or maybe, I don't know, a week or two before they go into meltdown. You're lucky if you got that much. Um, it's more like in the hours. you got 24, 36 hours. Um, 
most of them, there, there are, there's 66 nuclear reactors running in the United States right now. So they all are supposed to have systems checked where you practice, uh, you know, where you flush the systems, see if they work. Hardly any of them has ever had any systems check. They're just, uh, they hold back for the money, and uh, they just, you know, rubber stamp it. I would say probably more than a third of the reactors want their their backup systems and uh, fail-safe systems for China Syndrome aren't even working. Uh, so what happens when the grid goes down, they'll lose their power. They may have battery backups if they even work, because I doubt they've checked them. And then you're out, and then what happens, the reactors uh, will still be getting hot. They get hotter until finally they can't, the containment cell can't hold it, and they melt. And they're so hot, they can melt all the way through the earth to China, China syndrome. However, it won't do that. What it will do, it will melt through, like a Chernobyl, it will melt through the floor of the plant, it will hit the cold earth underneath the plant, and when it hits that, you're going to get a blowback. And I mean, it's a blowback. It will explode back up through the containment cell and into the sky, throwing hundreds of thousands of tons of dirt, all extremely radioactive, and spreads everywhere. Uh, Chernobyl was a massive disaster. And the only way they got off the hook from it going to full contamination was um, a helicopter pilot. Basically, he self-sacrificed. He died. What he did, he took uh, buckets and buckets. We're talking, you know, 100-ton buckets on the end of the helicopter cable of concrete, and he flew into the radioactive cloud, and he dropped concrete on that surface and kept doing it over and over and over till he sealed it off. Well, when they got the pilot out of the helicopter, the helicopter had to be buried. It was so hot. But... The pilot had over a thousand Redkins in him, and he literally melted him. They sent him to the United States and tried to help him, but basically he just dissolved. But the man did uh, stop Chernobyl from going worldwide, and that's the story of Chernobyl. That you, it's there if you look it up. You'll see that happen with the helicopter pilot. But they don't know that. But uh, yeah, they don't talk about it much, because you know. So, and Fukushima. Man, what a mess you got going on there. That thing is still burning, and they're pumping the ocean through it. <laughs> Imagine what that's going to but be. We're in the 21st century. Why haven't they been able to mitigate that situation, David? Because nobody will put up the money it takes, massive amounts of money, to build the systems that can safeguard those things and override them. It's always been the problem. They've always wanted to make a buck with it, but not spend the buck on protecting it. So uh, that's why you had such a mess. Um, I don't know what's going to happen to Fukushima. It's, it's still ongoing. Uh, at least Three Mile Island, Pennsylvania, and uh, Chernobyl, they were contained. Uh, but Fukushima is still ongoing. But with, with Japan, with Japan, with so many tsunamis and earthquakes and fault lines and so on in that part of the world, you would think that 
the Japanese would want to relocate some of those cities inland. And I believe it was in 1967 that they voted to relocate Tokyo inland. But, you know, one thing led to another and they didn't after all. You would think that with Fukushima that they would learn from that experience and start relocating or, or at least making cities inside, inland. Right. Yeah, that uh, to put the reactors on the edge of the ocean, that's, that's like striking a match in a gas tank and see if there's any gas in there. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really dumb uh, decision-making process. Uh, but I have seen that kind of mentality just sweeping over the planet. And, you know, I used to be the most upbeat person you ever met in your life. Um, but as I get older, and I'll be checking out soon myself, I'm glad I'm I'm 67 because um, I don't have that many years left. Uh, I don't want to be around when the when the party comes to deal on this place. It's going to be it's a party I don't want to be involved. Well, when the proverbial excrement hits the fan. It seems that you're more prepared than 99% of the population. Inside of a mountain, you're self-sufficient, you're off the grid, you have a thorium reactor. I mean, if there's somebody that can withstand what might be coming, is you. I know, that's the irony of it all, because I really don't care to survive. Um, I used to be a survivalist, but all my wives died, and um, so there's no reason for me to survive, and I'll just check out like everybody else. But it's it's really bad because it didn't have to be this way, y'all. Not at all. None of this had to be like that. I don't know why you remind um, me a bit, uh, David, of Dr. Fred Bell. Did you ever meet him? Oh, I've known Fred for a decade. Did you? Um, yeah, we were friends way, way back. How much would I have I loved to sit in a room with the two of you for a couple of hours. I would have come out with my IQ probably a few points higher. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. You might have lost a few points <laughs> depending on what we were drinking. But um, he uh, he was an interesting fellow and um, had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun with our cars. Um, Fred had a, um, a Lamborghini Countach uh, and a Diablo. And uh, those are supercars. A lot of people didn't know that about Fred. Fred was, um, he owned supercars and he raced, he drove them. He'd get out there on that uh, Nevada highway where there's no speed limit and just break the sound barrier about. (laughs) But Fred was an interesting man to talk to. Do you think, Uh, do you think that Fred was killed or do you think he died of a natural cause? And uh, I'm asking you this because... I know someone who was present when that happened, and, and he was with Governor Jesse Ventura. You know the story, right? Yeah. And you know, I don't know. I, I can just do the scientific approach and go, I wasn't there. Right, so of course. Say. You can't speculate. I'm just saying that he was perfectly fine, and then all of a sudden he starts uh, frothing at the mouth, falls on the floor, and just dies. And I know this could happen to anyone. But he had just given Ventura some documents. And the person that I spoke with uh, is also a guest of this program. And she was there uh, waiting to be on the program for the next take. And she saw him, met him, said she was perfectly fine. All of a sudden, here's that next day, I think, uh, leaving the lobby at the hotel, boom, something happened. Yeah, he just... 
evaporated. And I told Fred, I said, you know, Fred, you're pushing in sensitive areas. Um, some of these forces push back. And one reason I guess I'm just clicking on is because I always was a good little sailor. And um, I I knew how to go between the lines and not offend anybody. And uh, so I guess they decided to leave me alone. Um, but see, I'm, and I'm a recluse, so I'm, I'm not much of a problem. But I'm telling you, um, there's, it is amazing how much what people don't know. You, you can fill the Grand Canyon with it. Um, there's so much stuff going on, and you know, they think they know about it, but they don't. Someone told me once, don't ever piss off a trillionaire. And I never understood what that meant until recently. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, they can indulge their whims, you know, with that kind of money, having somebody eliminated, nothing. Pick up the phone and it's done. People go, well, well there's laws against that. Yeah, well, you buy all that. So, um, I want to go back to, to, to Thorium for a moment, David, but I want, you, I want your take on this pandemic. What do you see from your unique perspective? What do you see? Well, I took all the shots, and the reason I took them was um, for y'all. I have labs. I can do my own blood work. I can do everything. And so I, I went down to the local high school, got the same vaccine that y'all get, Uh, mine was Pfizer, and my wife's at the time was um, uh, Medina, and I was able to track both of them, and I found absolutely nothing wrong. Oh, you, you, your wife just passed I, away? Uh, no, she's still around. She's she's last one. Oh, okay, got it. And, um, but yeah, I said, um, well, I've been I've been married five times. People probably think that's horrible. What's really not. Um, first one was just too young. Second one, the wife died. Third one, um, it was she was 14 years older than me and 22 doctors in their family. Imagine every holiday you end up in the middle of an AMA meeting. <laughs> and uh, that gets tiring, let me tell you. And then uh, the fourth one died, which I, that's one I really missed. And then now I have the fifth one, and I'm doing everything I can just to care for her and take care of her, and she's doing just fine. Um, so that's the story of my personal life as far as why I've gone. I didn't run around. I'm afraid I'm pretty boring. I didn't run around. I didn't cheat. Don't smoke. Don't drink. You know, I went through 11 years of the Navy. I never smoked, never drank, and never had a tattoo, which makes me very odd. Uh, in the ranks with uh, military. For the listeners that, that are listening to you for the first time, we did two interviews back in 2016. So if you want to go back and listen to the entire story, I don't want to repeat it, but if you can give me a synopsis when the quote-unquote government uh, basically, I don't want to use the word snatch you, but how old were you, how young were you when they identified your IQ? Oh, Lord. Um Well, that goes back to my original story of, um, I was 17, actually 15 when, um, uh, this guy showed up, uh, in my life, my, it, it's, and I can prove all this stuff. 
um, my mother was um, the first in Ohio to be a female that was in charge of an ICC unit, intensive care unit, back in 1966. That's a big deal because there were no such thing as ICCs. And my mother went back to school, and she got pretty educated, and she ended up in one of those. And she's taking care of this old guy, 93 years old. His name was Irving LeMay. And Irving has a son named Curtis. You ever heard the name Curtis? I have, of course. Well, in order for Curtis to see his father, Irving, he had to go through my mother because she ran the 11 at night to 7 in the morning shift. She liked the graveyard shift. So he'd come up around 3 or 4 in the morning because he had a paparazzi problem. Curtis did. And if you look him up, four-star general, chief of the Joint Chiefs, he's the one standing next to President Kennedy in the Cuban Missile Crisis. He's the one with the finger on the button. Uh, Needless to say, in designed and invented the B-52, created SAC, Strategic Air Command, our nuclear uh, defense system. This guy was a gigantic entity in heavyweight back in those days. So anyway, he had to go through my mother to see his dad, and so he got to know my mother well. And he was talking to her one day, and he asked her, do you have any kids? And she goes, yeah, I got three boys, uh, Two of them's okay, the older ones, but that youngest one, we had to keep him in a building by himself because they had a tendency to blow up stuff. And they go, well, what's he doing now? He's building these rockets, and they're going everywhere. And um, so that caught his attention, and he asked my mother, he said, Did, um, does he write anything down? She goes, yeah, he's got this big notebook he carries. So he said, could you bring it up one night? And so she did, and he looked at it, and he said, hey, have you got a copier? So he copied some of my book, and he took my writings over to a place called Battelle Memorial in Columbus, Ohio. Look it up. What's Battelle Memorial? One of the most biggest, powerful think tanks on the planet. Uh, Their competitors like RAND. So um, another interesting, odd thing, they control laboratories and they control the the day-to-day functions of them. And guess what one of their clients is? Hmm. Area 51. That's who controls it. I just told you, secret information. Battelle Memorial is in charge of Area 51, running day-to-day operations. How about that? How do I know that? Because LeMay was the guy that put everybody in charge. And um, so he looked at my writings, tuck it over to Battelle. They looked at it, and he said, are these just scribblings? And they went, who is this person? Where is he? He's out in the cow fields launching rockets. What's he? So it's not just scribbles? No, he's closing in on, con- on fusion containment. And they said, my God. So LeMay became a, my new best friend. And um, I'll never forget this day and day. On January 6, in 1969, there's a knock on the front door, and there's a guy standing there, and he's a full bird colonel in the Air Force. And he tells me, I am the XO for General Curtis LeMay, and I've been authorized to 
basically card blanche all the stuff that you're doing. And that's when it all started. Um, so that colonel, his name was Colonel Arthur Bailey Williams. And you want to know something that's really odd? If all this is BS, explain this. If you call the probate judge in Maryville, Tennessee, and you ask him who was the executor of Colonel Williams' estate, and he will tell you, David Tyson Adair. How do you Photoshop that? So it all happened, y'all. All of it's real. I can give you a paper trail. No one's ever bothered. You know, old Stanton Freeman, he said he checked me out. He's a damn liar. He ain't never checked a thing on me. None of my people ever said they even knew his name. And he was always accusing investigators, uh, investigation by proclamation. And that's exactly what he did to me. Because I got six different hard items that could be entered into a court of law as evidence, and he didn't ask for one of them. I always found it interesting, and I I don't like to talk about third parties, especially if they passed on, and I knew Stan Friedman. But one thing that I always found interesting, David, is that you've ever heard about Roswell and that recording uh, you know, yeah. July 7, 1947, uh, the Army Air Force have has a blah, 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 a flying saucer. And we didn't really hear that much about that story until, I believe it was 1978, and he was allegedly the one who broke that story. But for 30-some years, nothing happened, and then a reporter comes out, and that became his profession. It, it's a... A cottage industry for some people. And I'm not criticizing. I'm just stating a fact. It's kind of odd, isn't it? Um, you know, I, I, I've brushed, I've had encounters with people over the past that um, some of the stuff just don't square up the way they're saying it. And that's all right. I don't care because I'm just not involved. Uh, they can go on and live their lives, do whatever they want. But when somebody says they've investigated me and says I didn't do this, didn't do that, and you hadn't even checked with any of my people, well, you know what? You're going to get a rye out of me because I will still say something about it. Let me go back to Curtis Uh, LeMay, the General Curtis LeMay. You probably heard the story of uh, the, I say in quotes, Gary Gary McKinnon the hacker. You know that story? Gary McKinnon was allegedly a hack. Well, I say allegedly because he was just simply a somebody with uh, autism uh, or Asperger's, basically, and he wanted to to get inside the government to find out if really we had UFO technology, and he apparently succeeded by going into a computer, and basically there wasn't even a password. He just went in. It's like you and I walking uh, on an off in an office building and there's a door open and we see a, a UFO right there. Our curiosity will make us go in. But anyway, he said that he saw material documents showing a USS and that's United States ship or spaceship in this case, USS Curtis LeMay and USS Roscoe Healing Cotter, two vessels above our heads. Do you lend credence to that? You know, again, this just uh, I'll just take my lab approach. I wasn't there. I don't know. Um, it's possible. Uh, probable, not likely, but possible, yeah. Um, I've had so many people come at me with so many stories. Oh, my Lord. 
I could, you know, I could feel a semi with them. Um, and I, I just look at them and I just go, okay, well, I'm not there. I can't verify any of that stuff. Every once in a while, somebody will say something that I can definitely uh, pick up on. I remember one guy was trying to tell me that the shock wave in the space shuttle, you see it curving at the front. He said, those are scalar waves. I said, no, they're not. That's max Q, maximum dynamic pressure. If the air is trying to get out of the way, and it can't, and so the space shuttle is pushing it, and it's creating a, a sonic barrier on top of the cones, and that's what you're seeing. And it's um, because it's already approaching over 18, it's getting up, it will get to eventually 18,500 miles an hour, and air just can't get out of the way fast enough. And so you'll have these compression waves build up from max Q. As a matter of fact, there's a, a band that performs by, they're all astronauts, and they named their group Max Q, I thought it was cute. But um, there wasn't scalar waves. They're very clever how they tell stuff nowadays. They mix it so well with real stuff, unless you're an expert in that area, you can't unravel it. And, um, well, he picked the wrong person wrong day with me. So, no, um, um, and that's just, you know, I'll verify things I know I've seen or done, but with some of the stuff like this, I don't know. And people want me to speculate, and I go, yeah, I can speculate for you, just know that it's speculation, uh, because I'm only guessing like everybody else. Um, I just, you know, that's, uh, I don't know, the savant could do that. You know, the things with savants, man, that's something not to be sniffed at, um, the power of the human mind is so beyond things we understand. Uh, like Rain Man, where he could look at those 500 toothpicks and tell you three of them are missing. You know, and we know that's real. We check it out. We verify it. But we don't understand how do they do that. It's a part of the brain that's stimulated that ours never gets stimulated. So, yeah, this, you know, this guy could have hacked in. He may have just maybe telling you the truth. Um, it, all I can say is for people who are searching for it, you know, I, I get this all the time. People go, well, you were there in 51. Why aren't you exploring that? Why don't you research that? What do you Look, it's an event that happened in my life. Was it real? Yeah. So, so, just leave it be. I got a life to live. I went on. I went on to Fortune 500. I built all this commercial application stuff. I made you know, really good money. Is it true? Is it and true? I wouldn't waste it. I don't mean to interject, but you're talking about Area 51. I'm thinking of uh, uh, President Eisenhower. And the, allegedly, he was confronted by a, a power who, he felt threatened, and he said, if if you don't allow me to go in Area 51, I'll send the military there. Have you ever heard that story, and do you think it's true? Yeah, and that, that might be some real credence to that. Um, the Iron Triangle, he tried to warn us about... Uh, Can you repeat that? You got it. caught off of our 20 seconds. Okay, well, Eisenhower tried to warn us about things like uh, the Iron Triangle, the military-industrial-civilian yeah. complex, and then he tried to warn us about um, the Federal Reserve Bank. I mean, he... He was a Boy Scout and whistleblower, and I could see him as president 
telling these people, if you don't let me in there to see what's going on, I will just physically come in with the military and storm the place. I could see him doing that. Yeah. Did he succeed? So you, you don't have leads anymore. What, what do you think made him? I mean, if you compare the military, industrial, penitentiary, Congress uh, complex now, in comparison to what we had in the 1950s and 60s, uh, it dwarfs what we had back then, or vice versa, actually. Do you think that he discovered what they were doing because of Area 51? All those exotic weapon, you know, weapons that were being developed by our own government and the contractors we know today as, the, you know, the, the, the usual suspects, Boeing, Raytheon, and the rest of them. Right. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time with a man named Bob Dean. Of course. And uh, Bob died a few years yeah. back, but... In his last few years, he called me every single day, and I'd make time to talk to him, and um, we had a lot of conversations, and he worked for SHAPE, Supreme Headquarters Allied Powers Europe, and I knew Colonel Corso from uh, General LeMay, and what their job was at SHAPE was to find any foreign technology after World War II in the hands of Germans. Well, they found foreign technology, and I've heard the stories. I've heard Colonel Corso stories, Bob Dean's, um, General LeMay had some uh, stories. You know, and when these guys said that uh, they kept some of their materials in a general's file cabinet, don't let that term throw you. A general's file cabinet is not a little old file cabinet that the secretary can push around to get her papers out from under. It's a vault. It takes several men in a forklift to move the thing around. So when they drop something in a general's file cabinet, you'd think of it as a, as a vertical locker vault, and they can slide these drawers and, and lock them. So... Um, People said that discredited the whole story. Not at all. You need to know what a general's file cabinet looks like. Um, but anyway, that there was stuff that they found in this technology, and I'm sure Eisenhower was in his time. Uh, they came across all this stuff, and they knew that it was going to corrupt the dickens out of things. And Because um, any one time you get advanced technology in a lesser advanced society, Individuals are going to jump at making money off of these, you know, highly technological advanced devices, and they do. And um, no telling how much, uh, who was involved and stuff. Um, how do you think the one percenters got so big today? It's not through normal investments. They had other leapfrog jumps and bounds. Um and I mean, the difference between us and one percenters, it's a vast, you put it on a scale, you can't even put them on a scale. They're so high, they're off the chart and somewhere up in the ceiling. They're little, literally yeah, off so, the charts. Yeah, yeah, literally. You can't, even, you can't even log how far they are in economic advancement. I was with a few people um, last year. Uh, Saudi Arabia came to here in a private jet, whisked me off over to Saudi Arabia. They wanted me to run their space program. 
And I looked at everything, and boy, let me tell you, they got a space program coming. Whew. And they got money. And you think Elon Musk and them are bad. They're paupers compared to this group. Uh, this one guy I was standing with, we were at uh, Nice in the Riviera, and I was looking at all these yachts down there. There's like a hundred of them. And he asked me if I liked his yacht. I said, well, which one? And he said, all of them. That's when it hits you what kind of wealth we're talking about. You know, he owned every single yacht down in that marina. Oh, wow. There was over a hundred of them. You know, billions and billions of dollars. And he even had a yacht for his dogs to ride. This is a royalty? This is obviously a prince? Yeah, well, no, actually, he was just, um, no, he was just more of a business type, uh -huh. not a sheik or an Arab. But, boy, I've met some of their money, and I remember it was embarrassing for one grandfather. I was standing there talking to him, and the grandsons just come in, and they had glued 9,000 diamonds onto their Mercedes Benz. And they've shown it off. And this thing, it's even on uh, YouTube. You can see it. And it, I turned around and looked at him, and he was embarrassed. And and I didn't say a word, but I could tell, you know, that's this just mindless wealth. It's excessive. Um, you know, each time diamonds were bigger than my thumbnail. You know, probably 10, 15 carats. So they flew you from, from North Carolina to Nice. And what happened next? Yeah. Uh, well, we went to other to other facilities that they had for me to look at, and um, they got various job offers. I turned them all down. There's something not right about the whole situation. Um, I can't put my finger on it, but I know when I'm not getting a full agenda. So I don't know what's up with this world and where it's going. What would it have comprised um, of if you had a accepted their offer to lead their space program? Well, let's see. My starting salary was $5 million a year. How about that? That's just starting. Then you got your bonuses, and you got all this other stuff, and I'm sitting there going, this is crazy, y'all. Um, it was so tempting because they were saying that if I wanted, I could buy the new shuttles. That's the space shuttles y'all hadn't even seen yet. These are the new shuttles that Boeing, or actually Rockwell International, who built the original shuttle, wants to build the new one. And the new one have air-breathing jet engines in the wings. Never seen a shuttle look like that, have you? No. What does that mean, that it can take off yeah. and without rockets? No, it'll take off with the launch package, but that's where it changes. See, before we had a bag of gasoline with two candles on each side of it, the external tank with two solid rocket boosters. That wasn't the original design. Rockwell said, we'll make the original design. And it's very cool. It's called a monolithic burn. And what it is, it's like a giant wedge of cheese. They shove in this cartridge. And there are two astronauts up at the top of this triangle thing. And they put the shuttle on the back of it. And it launches. And the fuel is just a big solid block. At That's the cheese that goes up in the cartridge. They fly to the edge of space. The shuttle goes on into uh, to orbit. The boosters are piloted back to the launch area like um, Cape Canaveral. 
or not Cape Canaveral, uh, Kennedy Spaceport, and they'll land at Mosquito Lagoon. And the uh, thing would slide to a stop in the water. They'd pull it out, shove another cartridge in, it's ready to go within a week. Imagine turnarounds, less than a week, five days, and you're ready to go again. Um, I could have bought that. That was tempting. See, I knew about these designs. I'd seen them before, all the way back in 1979. Are you saying that when they started- the Saudis would have bought these space shuttles when the United States retired our own, what was it, 1950s technology? Uh-huh. Uh, what's up with that now? That's a good observation there, Mel. I, I was sitting there going, what's wrong with this picture? Right? <laughs> and I went, oh, man. And I thought, let me get this right. I get the brand new, brand new, new and improved potato chip space shuttle, and you already retired the fleet. The fleet had, by the way, the space shuttle fleet that you put in the museum. Do you know how much life was left on the fleet? Sixty-six percent. Would you buy a car and only drive it for about thirty-five percent, and then throw it in a junkyard? That's exactly what they did with the shuttle program. And old Obama standing there going, oh, it's 20 years old. We need to celebrate. Let's have a party. And you mothballed your fleet with 66% of its life on board. It didn't make sense to me. Somebody want to Because I thought it didn't make sense to me. I knew that it was an old fleet. But as you said, it had it still has some life ahead of it. What I didn't understand is usually if you're going to retire a fleet, you have one in place to do something else. But we didn't, just like the moon. Yeah, you got one in the wings waiting to exactly to take over, and they had nothing. So you drove your brand new car for thirty four percent, and you threw it in the junkyard without a replacement. Exactly. And you're supposed to celebrate about it. I shot my TV set that day. I never got another. <laughs> well, the thing is, wasn't the space shuttle also being used to transport goods to the uh, the ISS? And now we have to depend on other countries to do that for us? Yeah, and Putin has. Uh, if I ever meet Putin, I'm going to ask him a hug. Because he told NASA one day, he said, you want to get to the ISS? Try using a trampoline. <laughs> What's your take on Putin, by the way? I think he's all right. He's hardcore. He's he's what you're dealing with. He's a communist. Hardcore murders. You know, has killed people and don't even blink about. But you think he's a communist? And you know, nobody. Yeah, but you know what? If you deal with him straight on, head forward, you could probably trust him, and he would probably uh, shoot straight with you. Uh, but there's nobody like that around, so he's just devious as he can be. So, but you gotta remember these are not welcome wagon holders. This is members of the Soviet bloc, you, you know, communism, and um, you can't trust them. I mean, hell, ask the CIA against the KGB. But I think. As far as leaders go, he's really more up front, and you get a straight answer out of him more than you can most anybody else, and that's saying a lot now. I don't know which country, aside from him staying in power for a long time, but also why is it that the Russian people, they have such a high approval rating for him. I don't know which country looks more communist now 
David, the United States or Russia? Getting a little blurry out there. Yes, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Um, well, it's, he's very flamboyant. He's very much like um, uh, Davy Crockett, you know, that type of person. Um, he rides horses, run around, you know, shirtless. <laughs> it's just the way he is. But I swear, um, you can get along with a person like that if you just deal straight with them. And that's something hardly anybody ever does. You know, uh, old uh, Trump seemed to got along with him because he was kind of the same nature. But then I think there's parts of Trump I wouldn't trust for anything. Um, so I don't know. You know, I, I, I haven't seen any decent world leader out there yet. And... Uh, they're all, you know, can't trust them as far as you can throw but You grew up in the 60s, right? So oh, yeah. you saw how every day most schools had a, a drill, you know, just get on your desk and the whole fear of the communism and, and the Red Dawn scenario. Oh, yeah. Right now, it's almost as if this is how we, we don't even pay attention and, and it's happening within our own borders. Oh, man, I'll tell you what. Um, that is no, that is a very true statement. Um, people don't realize the extent that nuclear arsenals are building China. Oh, brother, they have quadrupled the size of their nuclear warheads. They have over 4,000 warheads now. That's as high as it was back in the 1960s. Um, they have all these multiple silos. They've got these underground tunnels. Um, China is gearing up for something on a nuclear worldwide exchange for something. I think what's going to happen is going to be found out that that they were responsible, and I mean by designed and built, the coronavirus-19. I'm sure that is a weapon system that got loose out of the lab at Wuton Pharmaceuticals And before they could stop it, it spread to the human population and started killing like crazy. Uh, I remember the very first images that came out of Wuhan. They had this truck with all these bodies piled up in it. And they were saying, you remember when they first started saying only the elderly was getting sick? Well, on that truck in Wuhan, they had their 20-year-olds in the stack pile. Do you believe those images were true, though? Couldn't it be propaganda? Could be. Could be. Um, it would not be hard to manipulate something like that at all. But they, they think... So I don't know, but I think, I think they're going to find out that that thing, um, I'm pretty sure it's a weapon system. And it was designed to um, take down America's economy, but in order to disguise it, you'd have to take down the entire world at the same time, which it did. And then you could mask it. And the whole thing was to get uh, Trump out of the office because the Chinese had a thing with uh, Trump. Everybody knows it. I mean, it, it paled in comparison to Hatfield McCoy's. And they wanted him out of there so bad. They would have sold their soul to get it. So um, I think that's what was their attempt. And it worked. But they may get caught. And if they get caught, you got to think about this for a minute. If they get caught, and the entire planet finds out that they were responsible for creating creating a situation and then releasing it. 
that destroyed everybody's economy, every country on the planet, then the entire world is going to turn on China. Might be why China's got 4,000 nuclear warheads. But, but weren't the spike protein? They were studying that in the United States, and then it was canceled, and then it was transferred right. through Canada to Wuhan, China, to, to for the United States to continue the research. So I think this was yep. a partnership between certain communist uh, portion of our government, the Chinese, in a level four, you know, biosafety lab where everybody had to be wearing all these incredible vests to protect themselves. Still, they get the virus there. They let it out. And now we have to wait. We have to uh, wear face diapers because face diapers will protect us from it. I know. And it's and it's constantly uh, mutating, evolving. Uh, a good weapon system will. Uh, you put it out there, try to kill it, you'll adapt and mutate to something else. And this thing's doing just that. How, how do we know, David, yeah. that it's mutating if the virus has never been isolated? It has never been purified? And if we don't even have a testing for it, because the PCR test is worthless, how are they, with so much conviction... They're saying that the Delta variant is here, and now the Lambda is making its way. If they can't even test it, how are they doing that? Good question. It, I'll tell you what. It's the best shell game I've ever seen, and um, they're moving the P around really well. And But in all, in all games, eventually something's going to slip. And when it does... The consequences are going to be beyond anything anybody could have ever imagined. Um, you know, as bad as we could imagine 9-11, not one Hollywood uh, motion picture company ever made a film suggesting using fully fueled aircraft as a poor man's cruise. <laughs> that was that was brilliant, and no one ever suggested that. It just went right over it. Well, last, let me amend so, that, if I might. Do you remember The X-Files? Okay, do you remember the spinoff called The Lone Gunman? The three, remember the three guys? Yeah. They had a, a, their own, yeah. the pilot of that show displayed exactly what happened, and this is May, I think, of 2001. They, they basically told us what was coming. Terrorists, allegedly terrorists, trying to crash planes into the towers, and they saved the day, by the way, but they found out that it was not terrorists. It was the elite trying to create a war. So basically, they told us in advance what was coming. Well, how do you think that 1% is going to maintain that wealth gap? they got to come up with something. And um, as horrifying as that may sound to the average person, that's how it goes. And you got to know something about these one percenters. They're all sociopaths. They do not care about their families. They only care about themselves. So if these systems seem like they're only going to design to run 30 years, and that's it, that's the end of their natural life. So that's what they'll do. They don't care what they're going to leave for their grandkids, which actually will be a reality so bad that the living will envy the dead. And um, that's, a, that's a sobering thought. Well, if something doesn't happen, I always say that our worst day 10, 20 years ago is going to feel like the best day today. I'm talking about the future. <laughs> no, you're you're right on target. That's pretty well said because 
what's coming for us? Lord, you know, I could draw up a list of what will probably take us out. Not possibly, probably. Um, one comes to mind, AIs. Um, another one is, um, it, and it's, it's happening now, you're running out of food and water. You're actually running out of water faster than you are food, and you just don't know it. Uh, people go, well, that's impossible. We live on a water planet. I know. Isn't that the irony of it? You're going to die, you know, to do the dehydration on a water planet. <laughs> just, man, if there ain't some kind of karma involved in that. Um, food is, is becoming, will become critical. Uh, energy has already started showing its head. And... Um, and in all these areas has been bad choices. People have made bad choices. The government's made bad choices. People have just become sheeple. They just let them run muck doing whatever they want. You know, people, how can we stop it? Well, you know what? There was a bunch of peanut farmers and corn growers back in this country in the, you know, 1600s and 1700s. And, um, they pulled their pitchforks out and went after the most powerful military on the planet at the time, the British Navy, and they whooped them. <laughs> so it's all an attitude. Those farmers just thought, well, we can, we ain't going to give up. We'll just run them off, and they did. You can take your country back. Look at Afghanistan. All these thousands of people running for their lives, and all we have is people falling off of airplanes that <laughs> hanging on the side of it. What about picking up the guns and firing back at the people trying to take your country and take your country back? What happened to that idea? Nobody wants to do it. See, that's that's you know, that's so the what? question because I keep saying that the compliant person is complicit. They keep saying, and I know you got vaccinated, and some people do it because they feel that that's the way to do it, to protect the, their fellow men and women. But I think that this should be freedom of choice. They should not tell you and coerce you and and sell you and give you some ice cream and donuts and money and laundry and, and tickets to... to. They need to be able to say, hey, we have it here. And also, we're going to protect you legally. If something happens to you, they need to guarantee the safety. I mean, I've always said this. I'm in the restaurant business and I get health inspections every so often and I have insurance if something happens and somebody gets food poisoning which in my 25 years never once but if it ever, ever happened they can come after me the government doesn't give me uh, immunity or an exemption why is it that the Pinto had an accident years ago in the 70s two or three exploded they were recalled Tylenol kill a few people recalled uh, brakes the car is recalled But thousands of these people are dying, and it's like, well, that's just the price of doing business. Yeah, it, there, it's an irony there you can't put your finger on. Um, it that that always true. I remember the get, gas tank on the Ford Pinto. Lord have mercy. Yes. Um, I remember driving behind a Ford Pinto, and I could see the gas tank hanging down, <laughs> and I thought, if I can see it. That can't be good, because anything can run into it and rupture it, 
And it did. And all because they didn't put a, a couple of dollar piece of plastic that could have prevented that problem. They just needed to push it up higher into the frame yeah. and, and capped it off, and they didn't do it. What do you think also about what's happening with supply chain? I don't know if this is an area of expertise for you, but I'm sure it, you can you can comment about it. A year ago, a, a container sure. was $1,500 that you could get and fill it with whatever you needed from China to here. Then it went to $12,000 a few months ago to $25,000, and now it's $40,000. That's why people go to stores and the shelves are empty. And, you know, I'm trying to order appliances, right, for example, and they're telling me it's going to take until next year to get them. What do you, what's your take on this supply chain disruption that's taking place? Well, it's the most excellent way to create monopolies. And that's what they're doing. Um, believe it or not, Amazon's one of the, or not well, yeah, Amazon and Walmart. and Walmart, both of them are the biggest culprits in that area. They are just absolutely monopolizing the entire world market. And people say, oh, that's, that's not true. Look at it. Look at it shopping. I live in this little town in North Carolina. You can never go down to that thing's parking lot and see it empty. Never. It's always filled. You know, all the way from time they open to time they close. And they used to be 24 hours here until coronavirus, and they backed it from 11 to 7. And it just gives them enough time to stock the shelves. But... They have basically wiped out all of the mom and pop shops are gone. And people go, so? Well, that's a big so because now they're controlling how much they're charging what you are buying and there's nowhere else to get They can raise the prices anytime they want and there's no competition. Anytime. Anytime and there's no competition, no recourse. And that's, that's, the opposite of free enterprise. That's a closed enterprise, and that's what we got going. We don't have free enterprise anymore. And then people, you know, people think we've got so many rights and stuff. You know, I have freedom of speech. Eh, wrong answer. That's gone. It was removed years and years ago by an organization, and I just had the name of it here somewhere. Um, You're talking about the ADL? No, the this one here. Oh, the Southern Poverty Monopoly. Law Center. No, it's the um, domesticated. I'll find it here in a minute. I wrote it down. I I've researched it. It checks out. It really is what it is. Um, this doctor named Doctor Shear, Sheev, uh, he was running as a Republican candidate, and he got a letter saying that he was off. Uh, the election cycle, his name's been removed. And he said, removed by who? He goes, uh, well, this organization here has deemed it that you're not, um, y- we don't agree with your thoughts in what you say. And he said, well, I've got freedom of speech. He goes, well, not anymore. So anyway, they tuck him off the ballot. He sued him. Turns out he's an attorney. So they got they picked the wrong person to do this to. And he found the name of the organization and he tacked the organizational chart and entered into the courtroom and charged the entire structure for violating 
you know, your constitutional. I'm losing your voice. You're far away from the microphone, from the phone, I guess. Uh, he, he, yes, he, um, he, I was looking for that name of that group, but anyway, uh, he charged him for taking away the, his constitutional right of freedom of speech. He was censored. That was it. It was the, um, domestic censorship, um, infrastructure. That's net. That's and he brought lawsuit on all of them. Half of them Republicans, half of them Democrats. Interesting. Well, can you hear me? Oh, yeah, it is. Okay. Yes, we have to take a one and only uh, intermission right now because we're past the hour. But when we come back, I want to continue with this situation, this conversation about freedom of speech, because once freedom of speech is right. gone, the Second Amendment will be gone too. Also, I want to go back to thorium and your reactor because I've always discussed this, that the insanity of the wind turbines and all the, the all these people that claim that climate change needs more wind and they have no idea what they're talking about. All the oil that seeps into the ground and the water the, the supply and the fact that those, those, those the, the, and it takes about 50 years for them to just run in perpetuity in order for them to be feasible. Because it, it, they just last about 20 years, but it would have to take 50 years for the amount of money that was invested. So it makes absolutely no sense. Same thing with solar. Every single day I get probably a dozen people contacting me, put solar, some Tesla batteries. But I've always thought about thorium. And what you just said, that you have your own reactor at home. Don't answer now, but I want to know, is that something that could be used for the civilian population? But we'll get your answer on the other side. I'm not going to ask you for websites or books because you don't have any right now. Although you have some books in the past, don't you? Yeah, I've had, um, well, I got a 400-page book. It's in my computer here. I never had it published. Uh, I just don't go into that stuff. Um, and I had one little lady hit me in the leg with her cane, <laughs> which hurt. And she told me I shouldn't be so selfish and share what I, I thought. Well, I never looked at it that way. I thought, I don't want to be guilty of pushing my thoughts on you. She said, people need to know what you're thinking. I'll discuss publishing opportunities with you in private, but I'm here with the genius, David Adair. So glad to have you back. And one more hour. This is Mel Hostelrick, and you are listening to Veritas. More to come. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest, and all of our material, proceed to the member section, or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting, Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS. CBD pure hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know.